0: Welcome to the TurfNet Renovation Report, sponsored by Golf Preservations, the Green Drainage Specialist. I'm Anthony Piappi, your host for today's show, and my guest today is my good friend Ron Force. Welcome to the show, Ron.
1: Well, it's good to be here. Thanks a lot.
0: So for people who don't know, Ron is an architect that specializes in restorations and renovations. And Ron, why don't you let um, our listeners know some of the projects that you've worked on that they might be familiar with?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, we've been uh, we've been really privileged to work with a, a number of really great golf courses all over the country, no, numerous top hundred classics and some other moderns too. Um, I guess starting point with that was uh, with this question is uh, we've got three of our clients hosting the U.S. Senior Open Championship in four years. Last year it was at Salem Country Club near Boston. Uh, this coming, the end of June, first couple of days of July, it's at the Broadmoor in uh, Colorado, which both happen to be Donald Ross golf courses. And then in two years after this, Newport Country Club is going to host the senior. And we did, uh, well, just about 20 years ago, we did a master plan there. We've done some restoration and improvement and putting bunkers back in and green expansions, et cetera, on every hole in that golf course. So uh, that's mainly tilling us there the most part but we've we've done uh, new courses in the past but that market, as everyone knows is has quite dried up the last one was adding a second nine at stonington country club a number of years ago and our old friend mel lucas running the job but uh,
0: yeah stonington connecticut not too far from it, me yeah
1: yeah did, at one time we did have the number five ranked uh 18 hole uh, non-private or daily access golf courses in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, but uh, a called Royal Looks, but a management company bought it. <laughs> it fell out of the top five after the managing company got to it. <laughs> uh,
0: so, Ron, how did you how did you get into this profession?
1: I grew up in northern New Jersey, and by Providence, I was I was born and raised in West Caldwell, New Jersey, which is the home of one of the best Don Ross sets of green complexes ever built. It's probably the best ones in. Jersey, Plainfield, and Mountain Ridge are regarded as the best. But Mountain Ridge Country Club, there, the great Wind Heck Clubhouse, and just a fantastic place. I had no idea how great it was until, until a little while later. But I, I was, uh, played high school golf park there. And I wanted to be a golf architect because I was 13. I actually had an uncle who designed boats when I was a kid. And he came down, left Jersey, went down to Florida. So he influenced me a lot. And, uh, Honored Golf Architect, went to West Virginia University for landscape architecture, moved up into southwestern Pennsylvania, worked for a civil engineering company for I didn't for a job, but I got a job and eventually led to working at the Nimicold Woodlands Resort. The guy that owns eighty four lumber company, Joe Hardy, bought the place in eighty seven off the Rockwell family and got in touch with uh, Mike Hurdson. He had done a plan up there for the for the with the Rockwells owned uh, so I um, kind of bugged him, and oh, in high school I bugged a guy <laughs> named uh, Hal Purdy in Livingston, New Jersey. He's a golf architect. one time I worked for Robert Trent Jones, but he kind of coached me a little bit. But we kind of hooked up with with uh, Mike Herdson, and uh, he I've never worked for another golf course architect, but uh, we teamed up with Mike Herdson in those days on a project in uh, the Potomac Highlands in West Virginia. And uh, he helped out with a project that never got built. They never did any wetlands. it's bogus, but we designed a 27-hole golf course. Uh, it never got built. built. The
0: first project never, never got
1: built. never got built. They didn't do to wetlands. It was all bogus. The guy was working for this particular resource. What, resort was not on the up and up. So <laughs> it, it was but right. that drawing. I got to bring that drawing and to talk to Joe Hardy. And he, he Joe Hardy likes to, like to uh, use people are green and throw them out of the boat make them swim. And because of his philosophy, he gave us a start. And through the Pittsburgh Golf Course, Greater Pittsburgh Golf Course Association, another connection, uh, we're able to keep going from there. And and, uh, so just days ago was our 29th anniversary. Jim Nagel has worked with me for 20 years, and he's an absolutely fantastic guy, his own award-winning golf architect. And uh, we've teamed up on projects, especially, uh, well, the Bedford Springs Resort got renovation of the year in 2009, and then of Buffalo uh, right? In 2014, got renovation year international. And so Jim and I were both heavily involved with those. Some projects he does more of, some projects I do more of, and we had a very, very busy 2017 uh, in Florida, and... Uh, so we've gotten to work in the, uh, some really great, great spots uh, where, right. where I talk, and people uh, would Marsh know
0: you, you had done Newport prior to the U.S. Women's Open, so people had correct. seen that. The U.S. Women's Open would have seen Newport then. That's correct. And there were some there were some significant changes in that golf course. I talk about the because I had been out there when you were working on the project, but what the original Tillinghast Sahara bunker had become, and what you put and how you put. Oh it yeah, well
1: the. The photographic evidence we used for rebuilding was just barely sufficient—a very small, fuzzy photograph—but it revealed that oh, that's at least a, I think that thing is two-thirds of an acre. And it was, um, right. It was. Uh, we saw that it was four grass mounds inside some flat sand. But somebody, just post-war, is our guess, uh, because it was like that when Eisenhower played there in the early 50s. The um, went in with a. Bulldozer apparently and just turned it into, turned it from that and turned it into a bunch of like white caps so that you can see the sand. There was something like thirteen little flash bunkers perched up in the air. It had nothing.
0: So one, so one giant bunker turned into thirteen little. Yeah,
1: bunkers. thirteen little flash bunkers. Somebody had the philosophy: you have to see the sand here apparently. But uh, the part of the mystery, the part. Part of golf architecture is intrigue and mystery, and not seeing exactly every square foot of the sand in a bunker is not necessarily a bad thing. We're not seeing every right. part of a landing area. There's, you know, that's, that's some of the tools an architect can use to make make things more interesting and intriguing and memorable.
0: Well, to make him more comfortable, so you're not, yeah. so you, you have to, yeah. like you said, it's intrigue, but it, but it's it's to kind of mess with their comfort level, isn't well, it? Well,
1: and and the master of the RFP died, and yesterday, like that 11th hole that we saw at the players, I played it one time, and uh, the 11th hole just zigzags like a Giannisco. There is no comfort level after you hit your tee shot. You don't know what to do with your second shot, but if you hit decent shots, you can par the hole, you know, but... Right, getting in, getting your head in a place where you feel like you can hit a decent shot is difficult.
0: Right, and so so somebody had had messed with that strategy at Newport. Yes,
1: yeah, there was more of a apparently, but induction it was more of a modernist mentality um, that they want you know that was being imposed on a golf course. So we took we took all the grass, uh, the sod, we cut the sod between all those little flash bunkers and put it aside bulldozed everything back together again assuming they simply cut the mounds off and spread it around to raise grades for the sand and we put it back into the, it basically look like four cut off tops of white bread loaves down in the sand and uh put the sod back on top we did it and then put the sand where we it's supposed to be put in the sod on top of the restored mounds and it really looks good, I mean there's other spots in a golf course you cannot well all over the golf. you cannot tell that it wasn't done in nineteen twenty three when uh Tony has had his last visits there but um
0: right and that and that's some amazing turf too because they have no fairway irrigation right right so for you guys to have gone in and tried to put sod in or to seed wouldn't have matched at all, so to use that existing turf um was a was a wonderful, wonderful strategy. Oh, it
1: was! It was very gratifying. I mean, to you know, we if you're a restorer, your goal is to not be noticed. And we're, we're not just restorers, but when we do that, we want we want it to look like, as we said, like like it was. No one can tell if you're seeing right. old and new.
0: Right, hey, Ron, and I, I, and maybe you can answer for Jim too, but because you've worked so so long with him, you guys have been on. Worked on golf courses from some of the greatest architects, right? We just talked about Donald Ross. We just talked about Tillinghast. You've been on Seth Raynor golf courses. Do you guys have a favorite architect? Or yeah? Oh,
1: that yeah, that uh, we've been asked that a lot, and what where I try to answer that honestly by saying our favorite architect is Seth Langford <laughs> McTilling Ross, and that's. Any anybody who knows it, who's looked at any of your books can tell who that is, except they might not right. have heard about William Langford from Chicago. He's he was one of the original American Society of Golfers Architects members when they formed. And uh, it is uh, his stuff is phenomenal. And uh La Sonia Links, which is just down the road from Kohler, just over an hour in Wisconsin, is just in Green Lake is just I think it's 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 easily top fifteen classic in the country.
0: Easily. Right, right. I and for people, people, he, he ahead, was Dan. he was a regional architect, so a lot of people don't don't know him, and because they wouldn't have a chance to see his work. But he's very um, reminiscent of Mac, the McDonald Rainer Bank School. Right, a lot of big push up greens, very uh, bold featuring features. Uh, it, uh, the only the only pro- project of his I was ever on was this restored nine holes at Culver Academies, yeah. which is just an amazing piece of property. So yes. I would love to see La but but have you worked on some of his stuff?
1: Yeah. The, um, pre-1920, his stuff kind of looked like a modified Donald Ross, Willie Park style. And Portage Country Club in Ohio, we did a lot of restoration here before, well, 23 years ago, it was before Jim came along, too. And uh, that, you'd never know that from La Sonia from culver um the greens sat a little lower I-, I talked to langford's son he retired out of hot springs arkansas i talked to him i asked how what made him start perching them up in the air like ozaki country go up in Mequon, north of milwaukee okay I worked with them years ago and that he said and around 1920 he started perching greens and he was i asked his son how he did it he, why he did it he says he doesn't know but something changed his right. architecture, and it really influenced back to Pete Dye. It really influenced Pete Dye because he went to school at Culver. People think of Seth Rayner, but you look, again, coincidentally, the 11th hole that was just on TV yesterday at the Players. That is That green is more like a Langford green, the perch green in the par 5, with the un- rolling and deletion. It's more of a Langford look than it is Rayner. Right. And um, so that got into – that style got into – uh, Pete Dye's head and just came out, and um, but the um, that's fa- that's fast yeah. that's
0: fascinating about Langford. I wonder if he bumped into some Raynor or McDonald stuff. You know whether he had come across St. Louis Country Club or had seen the you know the renovated Chicago Golf Club where Raynor went in and essentially changed the entire golf course. Because there's not a lot of you know this is if it's if it's 1920. There's there's not much Rainer stuff out in that area of the country that he would have seen. I mean, Lookout Mountains not built yet. Blue Mound isn't built yet. You know what is what yeah. is Lang, what did Langford see? Because obviously he saw something. I'm not saying it was Rainer or McDonald, but that's fascinating. That that, oh, that changes.
1: I've I've tried to find out for many many years, and it was um um he was he was the captain of the Yale golf team from 1906 to 1908. And uh, civil engineering at Yale, and then he went. He went to uh, Columbia and got a mining. It actually had mining engineering at Columbia back then. And right. um, his work was in, through all the way from the Dakotas down the whole Midwestern area, and then right. to Florida. And he fell in with Gold right. Guard Society in, at, at uh, the Breakers in Palm Beach, and uh, got a lot of connections that way. And uh, there's his his perch greens are. It's unbelievable. You know, the places that have no money, they don't screw up golf courses. And that's a lot right. they, they didn't. they didn't have the money. It's only by the American right. Baptist Assembly, and they just are not They weren't, and I'm glad they weren't put, making golf. I'm glad for architecture and for their priorities that they weren't putting a lot of money into the golf course because right. somebody would have been trying to change it.
0: So. You know, and what, what's interesting about the Culver Project, Ron, is that that might have been his, defi- had it come to fruition, that might have been his defining work because that was 27 holes. And mm. it's just, and they have the drawings. And it was wow. built for this, you know, this wealthy private school. Yeah. And it's and, and what's what I find fascinating is the nine holes that exist, the only ones ever built, contain holes from all three of the nines. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a third of of the project. It was this. It was this uh, combination of the three nines, and I just can't imagine what what would have been had he designed this twenty seven holes w- with a place that had the money for the upkeep and all of that. You know.
1: Well, I've got a the the pro the pro we're working a length for course in South Dakota in Sioux Falls called Minnehaha Country Club. They're actually they're going to have a senior event up there called the called the Denny Denny Sanford. Classic or something this year. Um, Lankford did that course in the 20s, and uh, the pro there used to be over there at, um, I think it was, was Maxelton, but he was over at Culver one time, but I got to talk to him. His name is Mickey Finn, of all names. I got to go talk to him <laughs> about that. Yeah, they introduced, yeah. I, it was a joke when they introduced me to him, but um, the um, no, Lankford, Lankford is, is uh, he's, he's kind of the lost he's kind of the lost classic guy he just he's not he's not uh not appreciated the guy the guy was unbelievable and then nine holes right, and uh, I, west bend country club in, in in west bend wisconsin he was paid by in part with pots and pans from the west bend company that was part of how he got compensated for that was pots and pans his son told me
0: seriously he yeah. got he got really Okay. Yeah, that
1: was part of it. They probably he remembers that. They probably just threw some pots and pans in, "Hey, my wife's thing is older, I don't know." Whatever.
0: <laughs> you know. Well, I think he's I think he's very much like Charles Banks because he designed in such a small area or region that yeah. people who don't play golf in those regions are never going to see his work.
1: No, no, that's right. Yeah, and he's got he's got a number of good courses in Indiana. And um that that's that's a nice little architecture trip right there in the northern half of Indiana. Right. Yeah. One of, one of those. All right,
0: Ron, let's take a let's take a quick break for uh yeah. for a word from our sponsor uh, and we'll be right back. From green drainage to sod work, golf preservations can handle your project with ease and give you the peace of mind that know the professionals are caring for your valuable golf course assets. Visit golfpreservations.com or call six zero six-499-2732- to talk to us directly about your next project. Okay, we're back on the TurfNet Renovation Report. Uh, my guest is the architect, Ron Force. And Ron, I wanna change, uh, we're gonna change tact here on this discussion. And uh, having worked on so many restoration projects, let's discuss uh, the roles of uh, the superintendent. And tell me what defines for you, from your your perspective, what defines a good superintendent during a restoration project?
1: The uh, yeah, and no matter the scope of the work, the, the superintendent is always the hub of the wheel. Everything has to go through him. If there's communication from the general manager, the pro, or the green chairman, it, it can't. We don't want it to come to us. We want it to go through the superintendent, and and also uh, the contractor as well. So he, he's we're not necessarily involved with everybody. You know, all those other people mentioned every time. Uh, but we are involved with with the superintendent all the time. He's got to know everything that's going on. He's got to be a good communicator, not just with all the players in the improvement effort or whatever, uh, but he's got to um, he's got to be a good communication. He's got to be good communicating directly directly with his membership from us too. Uh, one example is. Peter Hasek at Tedesco Country Club of Marblehead, Massachusetts, which we're going to be doing a walkthrough tomorrow and uh, for the wrapping up that project. And Peter's been fantastic with communicating with the members. He's been taking photos. He's been writing very enthusiastic but very real accounts of what's been going on and keeping everybody informed about what's going on. Uh, he's been fantastic another really good example of that is Bob Randquist at Boca Rio Golf Club in Boca Raton Florida he he just took a he just took a position with GCSA he's going to be uh, his assistant's going to be elevated up to superintendent there But Bob last during last summer's project uh, had drone drone uh, video and uh voice over that he has done it was really well written um, really kept the members, whether they're up in Chicago, New York area, whatever, really well informed. The project went really well. So a lot depends on the communication ability of the superintendent. In fact, we've seen it's really not, over the years, not so much the grass-growing abilities of a superintendent that gets them in trouble or have to lose a job. It's really the communication. Time and time again, it's way more how they communicate or don't communicate, but they've got to be a good team builder on, on everybody involved, not, not just the, not just the principal the um, officers of the club or the, or the staff or whatever, or the architect, but the whole membership. And these two guys are really good examples there. Um, you know We want a superintendent who can help you know inspect drainage when we can't be there. Uh, he consults with us on what. What do you think you can build? You know, what, what do you? Think, I'm sorry. What do you think if we build such and such? Can you maintain that? How are you going to maintain it? And then also a big thing is like Josh Dunaway at the uh, Country of Orlando. We totally rebuilt, rebuilt that last year. Josh Dunaway is a really sharp young superintendent. He emphasized the cost of ownership throughout, and that was extremely smart of him. Very smart of him to do that because. At the end of the project, nobody's surprised that yeah you know, we're going to have more bunker edges to cut on this on this, and the size of the greens are largely very small greens, so you know that is that's very important to keep people informed in that way. You know, and a realistic opening date is important too. Um, people want to get out on their golf course, understandably, as soon as possible. But superintendents got to really be um, strong and. And realistic about what he can, uh, what he can uh, do for an opening day. After this stuff's done, we we discussed that with the superintendent about how long it can be. We just, all we care about is on the sod, and we want a ball picker in there for these bunkers until that sod is, is healed in. It's usually a few weeks, really. If the right. soil isn't very stable, it's going to be longer than that. If you got very sandy soil, it's going to be longer. And there's already. You know, you see it all the time. Somebody walking out of a bunker in the wrong way, and big footholds. holes. Was, they got to run back and patch these things. So the members need to stay off, um, and the superintendent's got to be really strong about that. But we want them to be, we want superintendents to be stubborn. But we, when they get in trouble, uh, from our end, is when they want the golf course to be too maintenance friendly, where there's like. Well, I need five to seven feet of rough between the collar and where the where the ground, where the slope starts down to the bunker. And, and that, that could be, and
0: that, Ron, that, just so people understand, that could be completely um, polar opposite of the intent of the architecture.
1: Exactly. And, you know, the, the spray hawk and other walk behind things, you know, we're, you know, we're, they're just, you know, when we hear this, sometimes we're like, boy, I just, I hope you can just change your method a little bit because this golf course is going to really suffer and no one will, no one will ever put it back to that. And that's where that's going where to be a problem. We did have one superintendent on a top hundred course one time. We slaved over the old photographs and put all the artwork in by the, by the architect that we saw and, uh, in the bunkering. And I came back and about half of it or two thirds had been sliced out of there. And, uh, and the superintendent said, "Well, it doesn't look that bad, does it? I mean, it looks still looks about the same." It was like, "Oh no!" And the the two guys, the president and the green chairman, were absolutely heartbroken because this was this was a very very important project for them. It was the best that i had seen, and I know it sounds a little arrogant to say, but it was the best restoration job I've ever seen that was short lived, regardless really? of the architect. Oh, you know. so it was yeah, it was really heartbreaking. Fortunately those bunkers are back to where they should be. But uh, that was one where, you know, the superintendent just acted too independent, didn't care about the architecture.
0: Yeah, And I want to get back to what you were talking about, the cost of ownership, because I've seen this in a lot of situations where a golf course, for instance, with with greens that had shrunk dramatically and bunkers that were lifeless are now returned to much larger greens. Bunkers that need, uh, the idea is to, to have the, you know, the, the, the flavor put back, the corners, the edges, uh, the swales, the the tongues, and that's gonna require more work and that the right. course would the, the the facility has to step up if they want this restoration, you know, they, yes. that they have to ha- they have to increase the crew size for this superintendent right. to be able to just maintain it on a daily basis.
1: That's right. And we we, we need to work, you know, we try to tell people up front at a certain point that it's going to take more, but we like to have people buy into the idea of the green expansions and that first and then start talking about cost because you talk about costs too early in the process it, it just it in my shoot you know put a big bazooka right down through the, the hull of the boat and sink everything and um, one guy was great was he's always great he's Kip Tyler at Salem Country Club. We did the green expansion a few years ago there. And uh, they, um, there was a lot missing. They had, it's a long story, but they had a good groundswell of, of uh, impetus there to get this done. And uh, it was great. And there's only we put all the corners back in those greens, all the perimeter target areas. We had to make a choice of risking a bunker or a fall off behind a green or play in the middle of the green. But they are always playing in the middle of the green there's nothing but a bunch of circles there. Right. So there's one green, the 17th green, it was the 8th for the senior, um, where the right front corner is very sharp, and there's a big old false front dropping down across the whole approach to the green. And Kip just can't quite mow that, make a hard turn, or the walk behind mower, uh, while he's going downhill and then turning right on a, on a hard corner. And uh, so what he, what he does with that is he simply he adjusts the way he... He thinks about it, does things, and just he doesn't mow it as frequently, and no one even notices. Right. He he gets in when he can. And right. Sometimes in the fall, when labor has gone back to college or whatever, these guys have to mow with riding mowers, and they just don't cut they don't cut these these wings quite as often. You don't notice it very very much, but you, they do every bit they can. So there are some things that can be uh, compromised. Well, you're not compromising the design, but the they're you're giving in a little bit on your maintenance, so you don't just you know so you can actually handle it. But you're not compromising the design ever. You still got all the nice short grass where it should be.
0: Ron, I, 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 this is going to be a tough question for you. I, I assume, but having worked on all these great courses, do you have some projects or courses that that are your favorites? Looking back on that, you restored to their original. Uh, the design, the original intent of the architect—is there some stuff yeah. that, that you love?
1: Yeah, one that I know you're familiar with was one is in Morris County, in the far, not far. Morris County off but not far from where I grew up. And uh, really here you in know, Los Angeles, 20 years ago, we redid the. That's pretty special. Still, so we redid the, the whole green complex where the bunkers in the middle of the par three sixth, and we put in the alternate. Green and Bunker on the 10th hole, which would be the best short part four in, in the nation. Right. And uh, that we're very fond of that. Indian Creek, Miami Beach, you'll always be fond of working there. Um, Davenport Country, over a fairly recent restoration uh, by Charles Allison, that one was a great problem. In one month, rebuilt every green bunker, teased. There were 125 guys on the project. day one. Uh, it was, it was, and that included a lot of tree work, loads of tree work. Great. That's, that's very dear, But What has been our definer in some ways is the Bedford Springs Resort in southern Pennsylvania, which got the renovation year in 09. And that was, um, you know, they had this old pro who did the nine holes in 1895, and has very early in his career, in 1912, to put it back to nine holes. And then Ross came in in 1922 and reopened in May of 23 with 18 holes again. And that was, that's a fascinating, it's almost an architectural museum because you got three years of the early golf architecture, post, I mean, pre depression architecture right. right there. Ross had really at the height, there were more golf courses built in 23 than any other time. Millions of great courses built that year. And um, that was, you know, the, the, the hot times for the halcyon days of golf golden age. And uh any early tilling has and uh chalka drops and things like that and, and there's there's mounds out there on that course that the grass as far as we know has never been changed for since eighteen ninety five. <laughs> so other other drops out there.
0: That's fantastic.
1: It's really a it's a, it is a beautiful setting uh, in the Allegheny Mountains and the valley of Allegheny Mountains. It's just it's a that's that has been our definer. And um, we really love what we call retro rebuilds, like Metairie Country Club by South Rainer in New Orleans. Total, total rebuild. Get the photos out, have the meetings with the committees, presenting present the ideas of the members, and then go at it and put something back in that had not been, in some cases, had never been there. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. Um, Ron, I want for I want to touch on one more subject before I yeah. let you go. Um, my golf archaeology career began with you when I oh. went out and visited Newport. And we went and f- found the remnants of the stunning Ocean Links nine-hole golf course that boarded Newport. And for people that don't know, this was a nine-hole golf course built by Seth Rayner. Uh, it opened in 1919, 1921. Construction began in 1919. Uh, Charles Blair McDonald consulted on it. Uh, it was a Newport member that built it because at the time Newport Country Club he felt was below the standard that it should be uh, in the world of golf, and he built this phenomenal nine-hole golf course that lasted from 21 to I'm gonna I want to make sure I get this right 29 and then reopened in 40 and closed again in 41 uh, when the U.S. Army took over the property during World War II, but. We came off Newport, and and Ocean Links literally borders Newport, and we went out there and crashed through some brush and all that stuff, and found some of the holes. And that was just—I remember that—that that was just so much fun.
1: Uh, that was a blast, and it, I've been in other course, oh, a couple other courses have been grown in by woods and things. You're finding old bunkers by guys like Flynn, but that was—I mean—finding the old there at Ocean Links finding the old uh, short hole, the Plateau Green, down by the water. Right. And then the and then it was the, um, oh, what's the name on that, Anthony? The
0: the Hill to Carry?
1: The Hill to Carry, that's right. I always want to call it across. It's not.
0: Yeah, the Hill to Carry, uh, which was this yeah. just giant mound in the oh. middle of a 280-yard par 4 that had a bunker on the far side and like an aiming slot in the middle, and it was just... But we found it, and I was out there about about two months ago. Um, I was in Newport, and I went back because I always when I go through when I'm in that area, I want to go back and find part of that golf course. And it was just an amazing day. I mean, I felt how much, you know that was the first yeah. time I got the I get the feeling like I was diving on a shipwreck. You know, we were finding remnants of yeah. of something yeah. that was at one point just phenomenal.
1: No, that's that place is uh, that place is great. So, how much more wooded was it than when we were there?
0: It actually isn't. I mean, the the big trees haven't grown in, I think, because of the growing environment. You know, you're on the ocean, the wind is blowing, yeah. it's salt air, it gets salt yeah. spray in some portions of it, you know, the underbrush is thick, but, and people hike through there, and so if you kind of follow some of the paths, you can actually find a path that, I think, obviously, people don't realize that, but it takes you over hill to carry. Yes,
1: and that's how you I got there, and well, we talked before. We did more stooping than standing going through their noses. I was wondering how much more brush there is there, and you know that that place should be well uh, better known because it's in Scotland's Gift Golf, by the right. book by Stephen McDonald. There's the paintings in there, right, uh, especially at the Short Hole. But yeah, that place was that place was the happening place way back.
0: Right, and then in 2005, I think it was about 2005, uh, uh, a man who Dave Donatelli, who I who I quote yep. and, and talked to in um, to the nines when I wrote about this course was clearing out this yard and found one of what turned out to be the left side fairway bunker of the of what was the eighth hole, just seemingly untouched, like they abandoned the course and everything grew over and nobody touched anything. and he's left the bunker there. It's just fantastic. So there's a Seth, Seth Rainer bunker in the middle of his yard.
1: He invited me over during the was open to go see it. My wife and I went in. and invited this in the house, and, and Brittany Linscombe was staying with them and got to meet her. And he took me out there and, and uh, showed me showed me that. And he, ironically, strangely named the house Ocean Links because it was he knew his old links. He didn't even know about the course. But he knew about the links, and it was near the ocean. He called the house Ocean Links, and had no idea that was the name.
0: Yeah, he told me the story. He said, "I sat." He said, "I stood on my porch and I looked out at Newport and thought Links, and I looked out to the other to the right, and there was the ocean. So I thought Ocean Links, and there he was, <laughs> literally sitting on the eighth hole of what was Ocean Links." Yep.
1: Yeah,
0: that's good. Well, yeah, I want to for
1: go some ahead. Sometime. What's that? Anyway, Say yeah. that again. We should do some more archaeology sometime.
0: I, I would definitely go back out there. I mean, I know from older photos of what was bulldozed away by the Army, and I know where their houses are built, and they destroyed bunkers. And people didn't realize when they built homes in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s that there had been a golf course there. But you could still find find pieces of the golf course, and it's quite amazing. Yeah, and you can still,
1: on the region, you can still find Tilling has Beaver Tail. The Beaver Tail and That's town. right.
0: We should go okay, out. I'll, I'll take a look at too. That too. All right. Put that on the list. Yep. All right. So that's going to wind up today's episode. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us today. Ron Force, golf course architect. Uh, and you have been listening to the renovation report on TurfNet Radio.